great. Walter enjoyed it. Let's you can be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Allison. Walter, I love that in Christ alone. That's fantastic, isn't it? It's a fantastic song. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, <clears throat> I know we've been doing a series on the family for several, well, off and on for three months. Uh, we've interrupted that several times. And uh, I want to interrupt it again today, if you don't mind. Uh, so your Bible's open to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, I'll begin reading in just a moment um, around verse uh, 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And in just a moment I'll be begin reading at verse, uh, verse 13. You know, in the passage that Robbie, and I asked Robbie to read that, uh, one of the things that, that Paul emphasized, of course he quotes several Old Testament passages, but it says, you know, because we've been saved, it says, come out from among them. Matter of fact, it's a command. Come out from among them and be ye separate. And do not touch any unclean thing. It's a call to righteousness. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> when you read that, you find that it describes a play, an athlete. He uses terms that would be applicable to an athletic field. And on an athletic field, there's, there's boundaries. And if you get out of bounds, you become illegal, so to speak. And so what the plea there is, is God has a standard for holy living. And you and I are to stay in bounds. He's marked off how we're supposed to live. And we're supposed to obey that. And the reason we want to obey that is so we can be a witness to a lost world. Right? Right? But folks, that part of the Christian life doesn't mean a lot to, to a lot of believers. The fact that God has called us to be live a life of... We've been studying sanctification, so I'll use the word. To live a life of progressive sanctification, to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be able to witness to other people. A lot of, a lot of Christians, and I put those in quotes, don't bother with that. It's just not a big deal to them. And of course the Bible would say, therefore, they're disobedient to God's command. And I could not think, I've been thinking about this all week. Historically, if there hasn't been a greater time in the history of the world, or at least in the history of our country, that the gospel is more needed than any other time than it's needed now. I can't think of it. Folks, we are living, we are living in the book of Revelation. I said that yesterday. We are living in the book of Revelation. And this is what's amazing to me. You don't even have to be saved to know this. You can read the news, you can hear the news, listen to the radio, see what's going on on world events, and you realize that these are things that are profound events that have never happened before. Even from the fact, going back to when we had COVID, and, and everybody's wearing masks, or we're asked by the government to do things we've never had to do. 
And whether right or wrong, we do what the government says do, whether right or wrong. But yet nations are warring against nations. And, and folks, all Bible scholars believe Jesus is coming. That, all the people I read and study with and, and think a lot of theologically, they, they believe Christ is coming in our lifetime. And I, I want to say I believe that too. But if it's, and it is closer now than it's ever been, right? Has to be. But look at church. Look, look at our church. You can look this morning or take a month and, and, and just think of the people that don't care. COVID, the apathy of COVID has sold them a bill of goods. And this is the honest truth. This is what the guys say. This is all the people that know stuff. I don't know it. I listen to them. What it did is people that came two or three times a year, came at Christmas and Easter, and came one time to see their mom or something, they don't come at all anymore. And that people that used to come once a month come once every three months. And people that used to come twice a month come once a month. But there's tons of people that just don't come anymore. And how can that be possible if they have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? I was telling Robbie yesterday, we had a little ministry to be involved in, and we were talking about some things. And Folks, I'm saved. I've been born, born again. I have God's Spirit. I know what it's like to be saved. And I know I'm a preacher. I know. But I know what it's like to be regenerated and, ha- and walk with Christ and, and love Christ. Not like I should. and Not any better than you, but you love Him. And, and I know what it's done to my life. And I know wh- wh- where I want to be and what I want to be learning. And I don't understand, quote, believers that don't give a flip. Well, let's call them church members. They may not be believers. They may be church members. Folks, we are living on the cusp of the return of Christ. We are. And I was reading, got a couple of, one well, did a funeral, and I got another one to do, and, and uh, so I've been thinking about the resurrection, promise of life after death, and so I just got caught back up and in 1 Thessalonians 4 and God's promises of the rapture. So I just want to read it again to you, but it's just not that. There's some other verses that the Bible mentions here about God's victory over, you know, why did Christ come? So take your Bibles. We're going to read first uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. And I'm again begin reading at verse uh, 13, okay? 1 Thessalonians 4. And this, <clears throat> there are several passages that deal with the rapture. And you may not know this, but um, but there to me there's three or four. Okay, uh, one is here, First Thessalonians four, and it's probably the longest and clearest because this context has the word rapture, and a couple of other passages like John. Here's one. Okay, here's one. First Thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen. The other one would be John fourteen, though Jesus doesn't use the word rapture. I go to prayer place for you, and if I go and prayer place for you, I'll come again and get you. Okay. 
Then you have 1 Corinthians, really beginning around 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Another great verse, I tell you a mystery. <clears throat> we shall not all sleep. Rhonda, I don't know if you remember this. I used this and as I met with a family. I told my Sunday school class that this morning. It's still on my board in there, as a matter of fact. <clears throat> I met with her, with Rhonda's family and John in his funeral. We met with them and I had that on the board. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, it says, Paul says, I tell you a mystery. And he can tell us that mystery because in, in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, he, he said 14 years before that he was taken to the third heaven. So Paul knew things about paradise and about the end of life. That, and that's why he says, I'm telling you a mystery that people hasn't known. So he said, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, right? And what's sleep a euphemism for? Physical death, right? Right? We shall not all sleep. It's not soul sleep. It's about All it's talking about is the body, okay? Whether it's cremated or whether it's in the grave. <clears throat> we shall not all sleep. So it says... 1 Corinthians 15, 15, we shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed. So what he's saying is, some people are going to have died before Jesus comes back. Other people are going to be alive. But whether you're dead or alive, or asleep or alive, guess what's going to happen to all of us? We're going to be changed. And what, guarantee, what guarantees us that is the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Right? Right? He was physically resurrected. He, and the Bible says he's the first fruits of all who believe. And so what happened to him is going to happen to us. So when we read 1 Thessalonians 4 and we find this word rapture, which appears, I think, 13 times in the Greek New Testament. 13 times. It's not an insignificant verse. A word. Uh, it is the word harpazo, but just to let you know that Latin Bibles have rapturo. It's rapture. So it is a Bible word. It's just a Latin word. So it's harpazo or catching away. Thirteen times it's used in the Bible. Matter of fact, the book of Revelation says Jesus was raptured when He ascended. Isn't that interesting? At the ascension? You with me? Ascended. The book of Revelation describes that. And it uses the word rapture for Jesus. So rapture is a doctrine whether you want to believe it or not. And if we're right, I can't see how we're wrong, but if that's right, now you can't break fellowship over this, okay? Some of you may not believe in a pre-trib rapture. That's fine. You can't break fellowship. This isn't like the blood atonement. But if we're right, Jesus is going to come get the church. We're seven years ahead before He comes back a second time. He comes gets the church, seven years of tribulation, then He comes back and establishes His kingdom. So we're closer than everybody else that's lost. He's coming for the church. So that's kind of the context in, in the church at Thessalonica was a young church. Uh, read his missionary journeys. This is the Macedonian call. Uh, this Thessalonica was the capital of Macedonia. 
uh, it's 50, he writes this in like 52 AD. So it's very early. And so these people had gotten saved. Paul had taught prophecy when he was there. And if you've studied with us, you realize he was there for three Sabbaths, right? He wasn't there a long time. But he taught the second coming of Christ. And he taught of the rapture. And he taught that he believed he'd be alive. Paul did. That was 2,000 years ago. He believed he would be alive when Christ raptured the church. 2,000 years ago. That reminds me biblically that every church age has believed and should believe he's coming back. Do you know in the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, three times in chapter 22, Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. Three times. And he is. But the word quickly means immediately. When it happens, it's going to happen. And folks, let me tell you something. It's going to happen. Just like the Bible says the flood. You know, it always gives that the flood is a, you know, just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. Matthew 24 says that. Luke 17 says that. Just as it was in the days of Noah. Then it says also in the days of Lot. So those are two pictures. Lot and Noah about Christ coming for the church. Well, if you'll remember... When Noah got on the ark, the day he got on the ark, God shut the door, right? It was the day he got on the ark, he shut the door. Lot, the minute Lot got to that town that the angels had to carry him to, the moment of the day they got where they were supposed to be, they took him out, by the way, snatched him out, carried him, which is a good word for the word rapture. As soon as they got there, judgment fell on Sodom and Gomorrah. So there's a day coming. It's the day that God's going to rapture the church. Then there's going to be another day that He's coming with us. And, and we're coming back to rule and reign on this earth. I mentioned yesterday I had a little memorial service. Um, I don't know why I was reading this, but when Jesus was talking about these things, there were, of course, then this could be wrong, but this is what I studied, said that on the earth they projected that there were 200 million people when Jesus, first century, when Jesus or the apostles would preach about the resurrection and death, hell, judgment. Okay, 200 million people worldwide were alive. Of course, today, it's 8 billion, right? And then, and then they, they give it an estimate of how many people have ever lived on the earth. Of course, that's, there's a big gap because some people believe in tens of thousands of years, but biblical history does 6,000. So if you base it on that, some scholars say that 50 billion people have lived on the earth. So every, every one of those 50 billion people, the Bible says... It's appointed unto man once to die, then after that the judgment. So 50 billion people have or have not been saved. It's interesting, isn't it? And, and that's not counting probably all the aborted fetuses over the last 50 years that are saved 
because God saves the innocent. This is a big deal. Jesus is, and he meant for us to believe he was coming back any minute. We've lost that fervor. Our daily routines are, are an example of that. We, we have, we don't even want him to come back. But yet we're living in this cesspool of sin. Well, let's listen to what God's word says. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. And I heard a scholar say, or he wrote, that's the biggest church group in the world, uninformed brethren. I thought it was pretty good. At least some of you got it. We move on. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Again, no. It's not soul sleep. Okay? It's the body. Remember that. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So... Of course, that's why Jesus wept. We are grieving. Jesus wept at the Lazarus tomb. There's grief, loss of a loved one. All that's going to happen, but we grieve with hope, okay? That you may not grieve as others who have no hope. And, and folks, I, I've done funerals. I've done funerals. Where for the person that had died... There was no hope that that person was saved. But thank goodness that you're not there to talk to them. You're there to talk to the people that are there, right? That's the opportunity to tell people. Because what are they thinking about? If you come to a funeral, what are you thinking about? I'm thinking about dying. Everybody else is too. So, so death, life and death is an issue. So it's a great time to witness for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, for since we believe, think about how you got saved. That's part of understanding and being born again. You believe in the life, the life and death of Christ for sinners. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So obviously what had happened in, in Thessalonica, saved people, had gotten saved, loving Jesus, they died. And Paul had preached on the coming of Christ, the rapture. So, but these people have died and gone into the grave. So they're a little confused. So uh, Timothy comes back to Paul, who's at Corinth, and tells him there's some confusion there. So Paul writes this letter. And so he's, so he's explaining to them what happens to the body and the soul. Something happens to the body and something happens to the soul when a saved person dies. Just like something happens to a lost person, to their body and to their soul when a lost person dies. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. Now Paul is writing as if this can happen any moment, and it can. But the fact is, it's been 2,000 years, right? But in God's economy, it's been like how many days? Two. Don't ever forget that. God's a mystery. There's mysteries out there. But this hasn't been long in the economy of God. Eternal, our eternal Father. 
And, and that's why Peter does that. It's just a couple of days. He's not delayed as we... He's not delayed. We may call it delaying. It's not a delay. It tarries, but he's not delaying. Okay? So God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So, so if God's going to bring with them, they're going to come with Jesus. They have to be with him now if they're going to come with him, right? Okay, we move on. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left, until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So there's going to be alive people and people in the grave. And of course the people in the grave, their souls are already with Jesus. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, let me just say, you can study this on your own. Uh, there's several scholars that I, I respect and read that really are convinced that the trumpet here is mirroring the trumpet feasts of Israel and when the trumpet would blast. And you can read about that. So many scholars believe that the rapture will happen in the fall of the year because of the feast, like one feast of trumpets, for instance. But just interesting that scholars talk about that. Uh, but the Lord's going to descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, I don't know how much of lost people is going to hear the sound of the trumpet of the voice. I don't know. But I know one thing. The people in the grave are going to hear it because they're going to come out of the grave. It says, then we, so, so, so in the grave, then it says, then we, or you look at your Bibles, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together, right? And caught up is the word rapture, okay? Uh, it's the word, Greek word is a, called harpazo. The Latin word is uh, rapturo, rapture. But it's called up. It's translated in English, called up. It can be translated snatch away with force. It's, it's a word that means there's energy and effort and and grasping and pulling kind of thing. So uh, they be so. Then we who are alive, who are left, so the dead in the the dead in Christ rise first. Those in the grave are asleep in Jesus. Says uh, we will be called up together with them, and and this is a big deal. Where is it that we meet them? Where in the clouds? If you go back to Acts, Acts 1, at the ascension, and Jesus ascends, and it says, and the disciples were standing around gazing into heaven as Jesus ascended. And remember what the angel said? Why do you stand gazing? This same Jesus who is taken up from you will come again in like manner. 
He'll come in the air. Okay? So He comes in the clouds to meet. So we meet the Lord in the clouds, in the air. Uh, and, and so we will always be with the Lord. And then He says, now this is important to me, just as, as thinking logically my theology. If, if this verse, if this passage had nothing to do with the church, church's escape of wrath, and I'll read you those verses in a minute. If this was not that, how in the world can I encourage one another with it? If the church is going through the rapture, I mean, if the church is going through the tribulation, am I to believe that, that the church is going to go through hell on earth and God's wrath, they're going to be here during God's wrath for seven years? And then I can turn around and encourage one another with that? Or that you would, you would make your bride go through seven years of hell? So there's tons of reasons why being, meeting in the air, the, the calling out of the saints, there's all these reasons why we might believe that, that this is an, a separate event for believers. When Jesus, we won't go there, but when Jesus says what He says in, in, in John 14, th- those of you, I've done that study on that several times with you, you all remember it's a marriage event. It's, it's mirroring a Jewish wedding. The son goes away, prepares a place. The father sends the son. This is exactly what happens in a Jewish wedding. And then the father sends the son back to get the bride, and he brings the bride back home. That's what John 14 is talking about. So when Jesus starts, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. We're not so what I told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Immediately in their mind, they get the, they get the terminal. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I've got to come back and get you. So that where I am, there you'll be also. They, they understood that. So John 14 would be one of those passages. Then I quoted a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians 15. And we might have a chance to go there in just a second. But while your Bibles are open right here, I'm in chapter 5. We just read chapter 4. Look at chapter 5. Look at verse... Uh, Verse 8, just pick up at verse 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. Now again, this has been a thing about the day people and night people. Okay, uh, Night people are not Christians, day people are. <clears throat> but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, uh, Thorax, it's the word thorax. Those of you who have thoracic surgeons, I love that word. Breastplate is the word thorax. It's just the Greek word thorax. I like that. Put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for the helmet, a helmet, again, uh, the word helmet is the word kephel, which means head. Kephel. And then it means Upon the head. So kephel can be used in all kind of context. But the word that's, the prefix of it means upon or around. So they translate the word helmet. Makes sense. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Folks, that, 
when we're mentally with our minds, <clears throat> as we <clears throat> pursue to have the mind of Christ, excuse me. <clears throat> the idea of having the helmet of salvation in our minds, always remembering what God has done to save us and in this whole plan of redemption. So the helmet of salvation. Um, for God, for God, look, you look at your Bibles, verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is there not a more precious promise that you and I have not been destined to wrath? Verse 10 says, and he tells us a little bit about Jesus. Let me just stop right here. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you. It says, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him, right? So, now that's, that applies two different ways. Whether you're really living, if you're still living in this world, you still live with Him. If you die, you go to be, you live with Him. So whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Uh, when the word build up, it, the idea of the word, it, it is the word for construction, but it has the idea of, of, a, of an immediate construction, emboldened. Like, you know, it's like having a deadline of trying to get something done in a day. and just So it just it gets done. And so he... So we use these promises to embolden us, to build one another up. And, and then he says to encourage one another. And the idea of that word, you have to be with people. It's, it's, you're with people to encourage them. Just great pictures. But here, let's think about Jesus just for a second. Number, number one, quickly right here. And then I'm going to read you another verse. Jesus Christ reconciled us by his own blood. Right? He, he reconciled us. We... We were enemies of God. We had a sin debt. And we were reconciled. We were enemies of God, the Bible says. And God, and through Christ's blood sacrifice, He reconciled us to a holy God. John the Baptist understood that doctrine. And, you know, that's why he said when he saw Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So, number one, we talk about Christ's. Who died for it? Number one, he reconciled us by his blood. Number two, all these are significant. The Bible tells us Jesus represents us before the Father. So he reconciled us by his own sacrifice, right? Number two, don't think the hope of salvation isn't incredible. We've been reconciled by his blood. Number two, Christ, our Redeemer, represents us before the Father. And the book of Hebrews is a lot about that. He, they call Christ our great high priest. He intercedes for us. He reminds the Father that He's paid the redemptive price for salvation. So when we think about the helmet of salvation, we want to think about the atonement, the, the reconciliation that is ours. 
because of Christ. We think about His presence with the Father representing us. Third thing I think about is He's going to return to reign. Folks, there's tons of reasons why Jesus has to come back. The main reason is the Bible says He's going to come back and rule and reign with a rod of iron. That's what the Bible says. So when you're thinking, you have this helmet of salvation and you're thinking about the promises that God's made, they're true. This helmet of salvation makes me think about reconciliation. It makes me think about Him representing me as my great high priest. It makes me think about Him returning. By the way, when He returns, there will be rewards for one group of people at the first coming, the rapture. And at His physical second coming, there's going to be wrath. And He'll separate the sheep from the goats. And then the fourth R, if I'm using R's, is when He comes back on this earth, Jesus will restore all righteousness. I, I know it's hard to kind of grasp this, but can you try to comprehend living in a world where righteousness reigns that, number one, you and I won't sin because we will be glorified. So we'll be living with Christ, serving Christ, and not sinning. But it'll be, it'll, be a, it'll be a world of righteousness. Now, there'll still be sinners, and we know what happens because we know the rest of the story. But there will be a kingdom of righteousness. Many scholars talk about it going back to, to like the days in the garden. That, but it's going to be absolutely perfect. Just one other verse. We're running out of time. Go, go back to... Fr- Chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Look at chapter 1. Um, just look at verse uh, chapter 1, verse 9. It says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And then it says, and to wait. So this just if you're summarizing what happens here, they got saved, and then what do they do? And to wait for his son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead. Jesus. And it's awesome. This is one of my favorite Bible verses. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let me read that again. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And all God's people said, let's stand together.
I, I can't leave without telling you this little one word I discovered this week. It's why you study. I shared it yesterday. When it says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, at a moment, twinkling of an eye. That's first, that's, I mean, 1 Corinthians 15. The word moment, I didn't never knew this, is our word atomic. Atomic, like atomic bomb. So that word moment is atomic, and a moment. And it's talking about power and brevity, okay? That's why it's the word atomic. And some scholars figured out whatever they came up with, because it's going to be instantaneous. In a moment, in the twinkling of the eye, the graves will open, they'll ascend, the dead and I mean, those of us who are caught, it's going to be in a moment, in a, in a, a huge power of explosion and quick. And some scholars said it's like a, they estimate it to be a 40th of a second. I don't care what it is, but God will speak it. He'll give the command, and it will happen. Folks, I want you to know Christ is coming for his church. I believe that. And I believe he could come get us today. There's no, there's no Bible verse that prevents him from doing so. So we'll, we wait for our Savior from heaven, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Amen? Let's pray. We love you, Lord. Oh, God, thank you for salvation. Father, Lord, I repent of my apathy. In light of your great salvation, in light of your great reconciliation and all the things you've done and you are doing to secure my salvation, and then the mediocre kind of response I give on this earth, Lord, I repent of that. Father, help us not to be apathetic. Help, help us not to be inactive. God, help us not to be worldly and not have time for the Lord Jesus. Father, you're coming. And we're going to stand before you and give an account of what we've done. As John says, we, we don't want to shrink away and be ashamed of where we are in our walk with Christ. Father, thank you for the resurrection that gives us a promise of life eternal. Thank you for the promise that Christ is going to reign on this earth. And the Bible says, and we will reign with him for a thousand years. God, thank you for that. Thank you that we know we're saved. Thank you for the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ that indwells us, that seals us, that helps us call you Dad. God, thank you for that. Lord, we love you and we want to be the church. We just don't want to attend church. We want to be the church of God, the very body of Christ. Convict us to be so now and in the days to come. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you all so much. Have a great afternoon.